Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast, a podcast for teachers, students, or parents who are interested in reinventing education. I'm Rob McLeod. Welcome. We did six interviews. We did them with people on the cutting edge of education, people that Bren and I thought were helping to articulate a new form of education. If you're a fan of integral theory, spiral dynamics, or the work of Frederick Leloux, you can think of this as yellow integral or teal. Originally, Brennan and I thought we could sum up our key findings and identify the through lines between all these interviews, but we were wrong. We thought it would take us one episode. We had like six general categories we wanted to address, but in the end, each category has ended up needing its own episode. So today we'll discuss what the leadership structures look like in developmental schools. We discuss how at the development level, the traditional hierarchy pyramid of a school dissolves, how students are brought into the leadership structure in an authentic way, why purpose is vital for a school to be able to self-organize, how this new form of structure in a school reflects aspects of how the world is organizing itself in 2019, and Before we get into it, we want to say a huge thanks to our six guests. If you'd like to go back and listen to the original interviews and discussions, you can find them on iTunes or reinventingeducationpodcast.podbean.com. These are episodes 9 through 14. Through the interview, we at times did start referring to some of our guests on a first-name basis, so just as a quick refresher before we begin, we had spoken with Chris Baum of the Millennium School, the Middle School in San Francisco, uh, we spoke with Armin Sieber of the Integralist Tagesschule in Winterthur, a high school in Switzerland. We spoke with Tryon, Anna, and Karina of the Alternative University in Romania, a self-directed learning center. Uh, the Integral Educational Consultant Silke Weiss from Germany. Education leader Katerina Yasko from Ukraine. And Joran Oppelt, a parent involved in the unschooling scene in Florida. So, on with the episode. What does leadership look like in a development school? Brendan O'Leary. Rob McLeod. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Rob. How are you doing? Ah, so far, fairly well in 2019. How are you? Good. I trust you had a relaxing uh, Christmas and New Year's break. It was not a relaxing Christmas. Uh, paperwork struggles, all kinds of nastiness. This is just esoteric for people listening and joining us on the podcast. They're here to hear us talk about leadership in developmental schools. That's true, Rob. So, okay. I'm just getting so, right to brass tacks. Brass tacks. It's, it's a good place to be. We're three episodes in to this discussion. It's a lot of uh, interesting topics. And today, hopefully, we're going to focus on the kind of horizontal leadership of of these developmental schools and how it might differ from leadership in other um, current schools. And also, hopefully, we can get into a little bit of what um, students and teachers would do day to day and week to week inside a developmental school. So, um, do you want to do you want to start it up? I would love to just. Start it up, Mick Jagger style. All right. Leadership. I think to talk about what it looks like at the developmental value, we need to go back and talk about the first three values, 
and what leadership and maybe not just leadership, but like sort of where the power lies, who has, I guess, authority for lack of a better word. And I know in management circles, authority and power and leadership are all very different words, but we're going to kind of keep them closely together here for the purpose of our discussion today. So if we go back to the earliest forms of school, the self-discipline value school, leadership is very clearly hierarchical and in a pyramid. Typically, the only real three stratas or even two stratas are there's some kind of a head of school and then there's the teachers below them on the power structure. There might be a head of school and then maybe between them some kind of vice head of school, vice principal, deputy, whatever kind of word. But typically there's the teachers and then there's the boss of the school. And this structure really still carries up through uh, the ambition and still largely into the sensitivity schools as well. But it's basically a pyramid. There's one person on top within the building. Now they have layers above them of let's say superintendents and ministries of education, all that sort of stuff. But within the school itself, as a separate entity, there's those two or three layers. Yeah, I think that's a pretty clear description. It's very static. It's very hierarchical. There's a clear delineation of power from the, the one person at the top of the pyramid. In a bigger school, maybe two or three people below them. And then essentially the teachers and below them, the students. And parents, I guess, don't fit, figure into this hierarchy very much at all. Um, move into the ambition paradigm, as you see what we might call uh, like a current school in Britain or Canada or the States. Um, so you described this a little bit earlier. So why don't you, yeah, why don't you just kind of unpack what the um, kind of power hierarchy or system might be in a mainstream ambition-led school? So in a mainstream ambition school, you would still have that self-discipline hierarchy of the head of school maybe deputies, vice heads of school, and then teachers below them. But you add on to that. You make it, you upgrade it. You make it a little bit more complex. And you start to bring in and acknowledge people who are experts. Maybe they're people who have ambition and are wanting to work their way up that power structure, possibly. And there's, you know, ladder steps up towards achieving um, one of those deputy or vice roles or even the head of school. Um, because back in the self-discipline schooling, you kind of there's only really one leap you make from teacher up to administration. You're either a teacher, and then at some point you become a deputy head, and then maybe the head, or you just straight up go from being a teacher to the head of the school, the principal. There's only one jump you can make. Within the ambition system, it sort of looks like there's a ladder or several steps you might go up. You might first become the teacher that's sort of the lowest point in the hierarchy but then maybe there's something to the effect of like being the leader of a grade or something like it's you and the other three or four grade four teachers and you know that would maybe be a next step and then there might be some other role of like um i'm almost talking about my own trajectory here but some kind of curriculum type role or some sort of like a head of a subject like english or the math head or something like that 
And then, you know, there might be a like a head of those heads. There's like several little delineated steps on the ladder. And I guess ideally in the ambition system is you're saying, well, the people who are the most competent in theory are the people who are assuming those roles because the most competent people who have the most merit can benefit our school by, by taking on those roles. And the entire direction or the entire leadership of a school isn't being held by one or two people at the top. It's now being brought down from the top and spread out back down the pyramid into various roles. Now, at the end of the day, the head of the school will still probably have full veto power on everything, and they might be influencing what the people below them, what their objectives are, what their missions are, what their objectives are, but there's more autonomy within the leadership, and it's, it's beginning to spread out from that one person down to several managers, let's say, for lack of a better word. I mean, what you've just described there is the move from a feudal system with a king at the top to a global yeah. capitalist system with a prime minister or a president. Um, and that's what we've seen over the last thousand years. So basically, school has moved in a hundred years in that same kind of direction to some degree. And I would say well, that what we've just described probably describes 98% of the schools worldwide right now that's yeah. a made-up statistic from the bureau of rob mcleod off the top of his head stats but that structure is quite functional overall so then before we move to development schools we have the the green sensitivity inclusive deconstructivist schools which we've said before we don't we can't really find any that we would peg just as that we don't have an example in our mind but if there was one, that, uh, if there were one, and if... And I just want to clarify before you go yeah. in there. The reason we're not saying these schools don't exist, but as this value is emerging, it's emerging within the ambition paradigm, typically, and having to meet the needs of the, of the ambition system. So it's not like there are fully autonomous sensitivity operating schools, the same way we can historically point to solely um, self-discipline schools. And although self-discipline is still included in the ambition system, ambition is certainly the, the majority of schooling worldwide. But out of that, there's this sensitivity value growing, but it's not in isolation. So when we say that there's no sensitivity schools, we just mean that they're completely embodying their values independent of the ambition or self-discipline values. Yeah, and we're only really talking about them not being a uh, sensitivity school in the sense of leadership and hierarchies of power or, or devolution of power, as you just said. So what's the closest that we have, or what's a model that you've got in your head right now for what a green um, sensitivity deconstructivist school leadership might look like? Yeah, I, I haven't had experience in the IB schools. Maybe you can speak a bit more to that. We think of the IB, the International Baccalaureate Program, largely embodying and representing these sensitivity values. Um, but from my own experience, having taught in Canada, I think Canada is definitely moving towards this in schools. But if you actually walked into almost any Canadian school right now, you'd see that ambition structure of leadership we just described. There'd be heads of departments and 
there's almost as many roles as there are teachers like that things get passed out to but in the sensitivity what you start to see is all of those people are included there might still be experts in a subject area and there might be the people you go to you know for best practice or the person you go to for coaching on this you can still have that meritocracy but the shift you begin to see is it actually moves back out from individuals back to the group and there becomes i guess you'd say like the more kind of socialist idea of everybody what's the quote is it marx you you had said well it's something on the line of each according to their needs and each according to their abilities so you you bring what you can to the table and you take what you need from from the table that's that's kind of how we envisioned a a green sensitivity leadership might look where power has been devolved to all individuals in all small groups and it's a constant kind of negotiation now the reason why we don't think we've seen that really happen too much and in in my school and other ib schools there's still more of an ambition hierarchy or meritocracy leadership system is that there's definitely a lot of fear and maybe and not really any strong strategies of how to devolve power. And Chris Baum talks about this a lot, and Armin talked about it quite a lot. And the guys at the Romanian University, we we they all touched on this idea of you begin to devolve power, and then they all described that either there was a an avoidance of rules, which then led to some forms of chaos or nobody actually knew what was required of them. And so I think what we're imagining in our head for a, a sensitivity school that devolves power is that it may begin to make more problems than it solves because now there isn't a clear and quick way to solve problems that emerge or issues that emerge because nobody's really leading anymore. Like I said, I don't really know or really believe that there's many examples of schools that are operating quite at that level. But that's kind of the interim stage between what we began to talk about with Chris and Armin and the others about leadership at a developmental school. Yeah, because... The IV examples are Canada or the Netherlands. Some of the countries that are, I would argue their schools might be operating from the sensitivity value, but the leadership still has one foot back in the ambition value. It's still holding on largely to the ambition structure and one foot in the sensitivity structure. And you know, I can think of staff meetings when I was in Canada. I think there is, there is the sense of the heads or the principals of the school wanting to drop down to be seen as a member of the team. Hmm. And there wasn't that sense of, hey, I'm above you and this is coming down to you guys. It was more like, yeah, I'm the principal, but I'm part of the team on equal footing with you. And just because I say something doesn't mean that's what we're going with. What do we as a team want to do? And that works really well when there is consensus. But I think what you're starting to, and I want to give that merit as well, because that's incredible when that works and that opens up new capacities that were not online in the ambition or the self-discipline 
um, models. That's something new that sensitivity brings to the table. And it says, no, let's, let's see if we can find a democratic move forward for this team so that no one's being left out or you're, you know, in the ambition part, you can kind of feel like, well, I don't respect my manager. I don't like this person. I don't want to do what they're saying we have to do, or I, do, I don't like the head and I don't like what I'm being asked to do. By sensitivity, I think it starts to bring in everybody's agenda and at least attempts to ensure that the structure of leadership isn't disadvantaging the staff who are in that school. It's trying to attempt to take away the unhealthy or unnecessary demands that the ambition or self-discipline structures require of the people below them. Yeah, we, the idea we kind of talked about was that potentially about the self-discipline, both the goals and the strategies for success within the school are controlled by the guys at the top. The individual within that organization has very little say in the, the goals of the school and the strategies for how to get there. When you get into a ambition paradigm, the goals are still heavily decided by those at the top, but the strategies become to, there are far more, um, there's far more freedom in the strategies you have to achieve your goals. And that's kind of what we have now in Britain where it's kind of like, you, you have quite a lot of freedom in how you teach, but the goals, those um, test heavy um, statistical goals, they're not changing when you get into the kind of um, sensitivity paradigm, I think we then start to have more of a say in the goals of the school. And there may not be a single goal or a, a single set of goals. And so then you potentially have many negotiable goals with a lot of freedom in the strategies. And as great as that sounds, in reality, there's a reason why that's probably not permeated into the society very far yet. Yeah, each of these types of school, each of these leadership structures, are they are partially showing up as a reflection of society. As you mentioned a few minutes ago, you know, we've seen this shift from feudalism to democracy essentially over yeah. a thousand years. We've seen it on a much smaller, faster scale within schools. We're also seeing a move, let's say, and again, I'm zooming out and completely overgeneralizing, but in the world at large, capitalism is still definitely <laughs> ruling the roost, but we're seeing shifts in certain areas towards more socialist versions of capitalism, and we're seeing more shifts within some parts of school, especially countries that are making those governmental shifts or um, economic shifts, we're seeing this trickle down and being reflected in the school structure of moving towards more of this sensitivity structure because it seems to somehow be intertwined with these memes or within this, within these values. Um, and I think we've already, you've just done it again, where we've kind of jumped to what the problem is with this, but I want to try and go back and 
you, you mentioned the problem of like, well, when there's not really goals or clear structure, you know, things can, yeah, it's kind things of can run aground. There's a lot of fear within me for kind of like, even just looking at that model, like, oh, oh, that makes me uncomfortable just to be like, there's 500 people and they all got a say in this. And it's like, okay, well, I'd have to see that working day to day to buy into it a little mm-hmm. more. So I'm still heavily invested in that safe ambition leadership model to, to, a, to a great degree, I think. Yeah, and, and there might be more checks and balances possibly um, in the ambition system because there's more people having at least a say vertically. At some point, you know, challenges or disruptions can go up to the head of the English department or the head of the languages department or the, you know, student well-being or whatever it is. Um, and then maybe move up to the next step of the hierarchy. Whereas, yeah, for sure, when you move up to sensitivity, you run the risk of the mob ruling things potentially. But again, before we talk about the drawbacks, one other positive is this sensitivity brings in something that's needed within the development system, which is just starting to become sensitive to and aware of who is with you? Who is with you in that classroom? And moving away from the sense of one size fits all. And what sensitivity is bringing online is to say, no, let's stop and be present to who's in this group. What are their needs? What are their interests? And how do we make space for that? And the freedom that you described earlier certainly can bring about challenges of how do you bring everybody together when everyone's got freedom. But what it also allows is for some more specialization and differentiation to tune into, say, a team of teachers' interests and needs to say, no, you know what, this year we are choosing to focus on this because this is what our thing is. And the other departments don't have to do that. But we've seen this real need in our school that needs addressing or development or our space. We we can see it's like a it's a self-fixing mechanism within the system that if it's working well sensitivity can see ah here's something about our system that's maybe disadvantaging people or useless or a waste of time and we have some freedom and autonomy to um, perhaps begin to change that or address it and start to come from the ground up and I think that's key because a lot of what we talked about in the last episode, and I can keep talking about, is how school as an organism needs to be responsive to the needs of the people within. And I think the blue um, self-discipline and the ambition paradigms were absolutely not. Ambition, maybe a little, began to start to say, maybe not everybody can do this. Maybe not everybody needs exactly the same, but it was still reasonably inflexible. And it was only with the sensitivity paradigm starting to come in that it was like, everybody's different. Everybody has these different needs. Let's begin to respond to those. And that becomes central in the development the response to the needs of the entire community and so is that a difference is that the difference that within the developmental kind of leadership 
were responding to individual needs and maybe not as much to the shared need of the entire group or society. And when we get to development, we, we add that back into the mix. So we're still responding to individuals, but we're now also bringing back in a response or going back to a place where we're responding to the community as well. Yeah, I think there's a, poss- there's a chance you just said development when you meant to say sensitivity about 30 seconds ago. I lost my train of thought just going, oh, I think he means sensitivity here. So oh, I think, sorry. I think you were saying the sensitivity focuses on the individual. Do you want me to try again? No, no, no. Let's, let's leave this mess in here right now as we tidy this up. Okay. Uh, sensitivity has that focus on the individuals. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And then by development, we keep that, but we also bring back the sensitivity towards the group or the structure, the culture, the system. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And that's the key difference. Yeah. What sensitivity is bringing online is this need to tune into the individuals, as you just said, which by and large was not present in those previous two values. And that needs to kind of come online first before it can be transcended and included in this next developmental stage. And I think the big difference is development says, yes, the needs of the individuals are still incredibly important, but they're not what we base our entire structure on. They are one of the pieces of the puzzle that we look at. They're one of the pieces we use to orient from, to know what to do. But um, I'm going to make a straw man here to oversimplify the sensitivity value, um, what you see in the classroom can be a group of 30 students and almost all of them have individualized education programs, differentiated programs where some, let's just say for the sake of this horrible straw man example that it's a grade five classroom and you've, when it's math lesson time, you have students who are working on everything from grade one to grade eight math problems, math level problems. And you've got a third of them that you must allow um, the use of specific manipulatives, toys, devices, counting cubes, abascuses. I never know how to say that word. Um, various sorting tools, clocks with movable hands, some that tell you the time some that don't because other kids need this i'm i'm creating an extreme example but i also know classrooms of 30 students or 26 of them were on individualized education programs and, and the role of the teacher in that was to ensure that each kid was getting exactly the thing they were needing um which is cool but that also becomes almost impossible to manage and navigate um, where development picks up is then to say, yep, the needs of those individuals are incredibly important and something we focus on, but it's not the only factor we're using to decide 
what happens and what this place looks like. Now, I used an in-classroom example to pop back out to leadership now, which is what we're talking about. Um, the In a developmental school, I guess to go back to the idea of decision-making or who has the power, I guess the sense is everybody that's within the group is being asked to bring their full selves to the group. There's a sense of authenticity and truth speaking and true vulnerability that can be brought into it. Um, oh, I can feel this falling apart as I'm trying to say it because, because this isn't fully formed. Let's try and tag team this, Brendan. Let's go back to the notes of these six wise people we've spoken to to try and to try and fill this in. I guess this is where the the sociocratic and these uh, let's just say there's a change in the geometry. These first three values: self discipline, ambition, sensitivity, have some element of the pyramid within them. Blue or the self discipline. It's very clear. One person at the top, maybe one person in the middle, then teachers. Ambition, many levels of competency, but it's still a pyramid. And then by sensitivity, there's still somebody at the end of the day that has their job on the line if everything falls apart, but they're attempting to push themselves down and also be a part of the lower, lower section of the pyramid. So that pyramid geometry works for these first three. But in all of our conversations with schools that are operating at this developmental value, that pyramid goes away and it seems to be some sort of a solar system or pods and interconnected circles that work between each other that are influencing each other. How's that for the ramblings of a madman trying to <laughs> something? I think what's clear is that we were on pretty solid ground with the with the self-discipline and ambition paradigm and our mental model falls apart first because I think a truly sensitivity deconstructed school would f fall apart because you would you would deconstruct the elements of school to such a, a degree that it no longer functions as a school anymore. That I think that's why we keep going back to the negatives because for however many positives there are, once you get to that point in the line where everybody who has any stake in the school whatsoever has an equal amount of responsibility. I don't think the system which was initially designed hierarchically no longer it can no longer exist you're essentially talking about online courses on the internet here where i just go and say um i'm going to do a course at mit i'm going to do another course over here and i don't have to pay for them and i just watch a couple of videos on youtube and i may submit some essays i may not i may get accreditation at some point i may not i think that's that's what it would look like. So the Russian, the um, the Romanian um, university guys talked about Ivan Illich and his de-schooling society book, and that's essentially what he described. Where there weren't schools anymore, there were just centers where you would go to learn specific things, and um, 
there would be people in charge of those centers, but maybe they would be more in a coaching model where you would turn up and they would mentor you while they were also being mentored by somebody else. And so I think we're struggling because we're primary school teachers talking about school and a truly sensitivity based kind of system would it wouldn't even look like school on any level whatsoever which is kind of why i think the guys we talked to more or less leapfrogged that armin talked a little bit about passing through that green sensitivity stage but he quickly kind of moved out of it i think all like i can remember chris bum from the millennium school touched on this as well and the Romanian Alternative University touched on this as well, that they said they originally started as representing the sensitivity model of leadership. And there was a lot more democracy and a lot more consensus building and a lot more attempts to include all perspectives in it. But all three of them gave examples of saying that fell apart very quickly. And we realized that was more of a problem um, than a help. And all three of them, and I might be oversimplifying their stories a little bit, but I think if we had all three on the line with us, they would probably agree that, yeah, actually where we started was operating from a sensitivity style leadership and the shortcomings of that pushed us into this more horizontal, sociocratic, self-organizing system, which brought back some authority, but not in the pyramidal sense. Um, I just think if you're being paid, if you're a teacher who's being paid, with the contract with responsibilities in there i don't see how you could set up your school to then completely parcel out responsibility because then you've got people who who are not contracted people who maybe don't have the same experience and the same buy-in to who who have far less to lose than you because it's still built on a capitalist kind of model so I think these guys are all being employed by schools. And so by a very necessity, they still want to have as much of those sensitivity values in there combined with the other, the best parts of the other values. And I think that's where we find ourselves. So I think that's probably a good segue. That's a lot of context to set up where these guys were when we spoke to them. So maybe it's a good place to jump into kind of what what um the people in the interview were saying about their schools and the 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 first thing that kind of struck me and kept coming back was this idea of horizontal leadership we've touched on it a little bit before but do you just want to speak a little bit to this idea of horizontal leadership no <laughs> I don't feel I'm an expert enough in it. Um, okay. Some of some of the forms that were brought up, um, like uh, Armin from the Integrale Tagesschule in Switzerland, he talked about the sociocratic structure. And when I listened back to that interview, I know I, I panicked in the moment we were actually talking with them because I was like, oh, I've kind of heard of this, but I don't know any of the inner workings and I don't want to... Uh, take over this whole conversation to just have him privately explain it to me and us at the same time. Cause I wanted to talk about so many more aspects of the school. I've since gone back and researched a little bit and I think you've looked into it even more. Um, maybe you can help to tease apart 
how is sociocratic organization or some of this horizontal leadership, not just the sensitivity we described of everyone's on equal footing and everyone has an equal say in this. Can I throw this one back to you? Yeah, sure. I think that idea of equality and inclusiveness then becomes more contextual. So this is kind of when we talk about responding to the needs of the community, there's going to be um, so many potential needs in a group of 50 to 500 people. There's going to be so many potential avenues to explore. You, It's only by being awake and sensitive and honest that you can actually respond to the, to the most pressing of those needs or the needs that are deepest and I think that's what they're philosophically trying to aim to do and it's kind of how do you set up a a leadership team that lets people respond to what the students are saying and what the teachers are saying and what the community is saying without it falling apart and Armin did say that his tag of head teacher is just because they don't the society doesn't really have another way to understand his role, but his role is closest maybe to a chairperson from my understanding that he doesn't necessarily, I mean, if it came to push, came to shove, he would have the final say, but he doesn't use it in that way. So he's chairing or allowing others to chair that meeting and he's executive, executively producing this kind of like, this organization but in the same time being part of it and that i think as we go more into the notes we can see more clues of actually how that works on a day-to-day level and i want to pause there because you've just mentioned what i think what didn't come up in the first three values is you just mentioned students and in none of the first three values do you see student bodies or students having genuine leadership or control or power in the structure. Arguably, all three of them will have, say, versions of student councils or class speakers or something to that effect, that sure, there will be a a student body. Um, At the risk of sounding dismissive or even cynical, Beyond running a dance or a bake sale, the majority of them don't have any actual executive autonomy in the school. I think the best versions I've seen in it, seen of them work as being communication, perhaps between the student population and those higher up in the school. Um, and I don't want to say they're all just lip service, but what I'd say is it's not until the developmental value that the student body actually becomes a functional, possibly equal voice within the school itself as an organism. Well, I, th- I think, the, you know, working now in an IB school, there's a lot of talk of self-efficacy and agency for students. I think it's still very much on the level of their day-to-day studies and the actions they can take. There's definitely not opportunity for community and school-wide action and, and, and action further but I'd say in reality 
a lot of the efficacy and, and action that students can take is within their day-to-day -day studies because they're open-ended projects and they're, um, they're inquiries. And I think the, as, you get, as you get further into that, there's more and more freedom within the classroom, within the study and within the, the activities and events they can do. But I think to actually begin to include students who, you know, children within your decision-making process. And I know obviously the university is dealing with adults. The, the, the students are already 18 to 22 and so they're already in that position, but I think we have the double challenge of we're dealing with with children who don't have that same level of oversight that an adult would have. And so even beginning to engage them and give them um, meaningful decision-making powers within the, the system is, is, first of all, really, really scary for most people and also incredibly hard to do in a way that you can trust that it's good for the community and meets them at their developmental ability like meets yeah. those students and i think when you said include i think there is a distinction there that popped in my head i think you could argue that self-discipline ambition sensitivity they all include student voice to some degree I think the difference at the developmental value is including them within the, the self-organizing structure, that student voice could actually change the structure of the school and also potentially have agency on decisions within the school. Because um, the previous three might have some space for student input on decisions in the school, but ultimately, let's say, the student, I'm trying to come up with a hypothetical right now, but at the development value, you might actually have student voice being included to talk about required structural changes within the school. They're like demands of a new role for an adult in the school or a new role for the students. That the, the students are being included to develop the structure, the system of the school as an entity. And there's definitely pockets of this everywhere. And, and in um, Lalou's book where he talks about the, the school in Berlin, that, that we're trying to ground up, redesign their curriculum, redesign how the structure of the school fits and, and the physical buildings there. He's Schools who are on that path towards developmental like learning it, they're obviously playing around with these ideas and trying to find systems that work. And just going back even to the Summerhill School, which was one of the first kind of free schools in in the forties um, and fifties, they um, the the students themselves have a lot of say in how the school was run day to day. And this sociocratic idea kind of stems from that as well. That there's a lot of they're the most important people in the school in many senses because they are the ones that are there to do the thing that school is for. In the traditional sense, school is to learn. They're the ones there to learn in that sense. Um, 
I'm interested in moving a little bit more into what some of the interviewers, interviewees said about their particular schools. And I, I wanted to go to um, Armin's school again, and he talked about how they would have an inner circle of students. So it wasn't all students. It was a, it was a group and the staff and, and board members were there as well aiming together to negotiate what happened within the school with some authenticity. And he talks about trying to give them more responsibility little by little. So I think they're obviously at the point where they haven't figured out exactly how to do that yet. They're still working out how much responsibility can we give to a certain student at a certain age. So I think that was one a very clear, concrete example of how at least one school is trying to implement this. Yeah, and Chris Baum of the Millennium School, he had mentioned, I think, the idea of they've, if I remember correctly, his wording for it was they felt that maybe at first they'd actually given too much responsibility to students first and then had had to dial that back a little bit and I think they had realized that it was the adults who needed to set the norms or the culture, the expectations first, and then bring the students into that and gradually release more of that responsibility over to them. And I think that's probably a defining key. I also don't think, like you'd mentioned with Harmon at the Integrala Tagesschule there, you know, I don't think there is a, a right amount I don't think there is like an endpoint or a right way. I think this is an ingoing dynamic inquiry that you never find the right dial setting and then leave it at that. I think the school is a dynamic living organism. And the one piece, I think all of our discussion so far has largely been about maintaining the school as is. One of these other sociocratic kind of more horizontal things I think also brings in this idea of where is the school going as an entity so there is us as we are now and as an organism who and what are we becoming and at the developmental value that is articulated through the people who are there now and who I guess have a perspective on where this place is wanting to go. Who, as a place and as a culture, where, what do we want to grow into gets put onto the table. Yeah, and I think the idea again that Armin brought up of do more of what's working. And obviously, I would say that everybody would say that's what we do. It's another one of those sentences that no matter what value you have, you say, we already do that. We do more of what's working. We do less of what's not working. But I think by being much more responsive to the needs, and that's the key, the school is wide awake and responsive to what's happening in the minute and in the week and in the year. And we're changing because we know that the dials always moving and I wanted to go back to a point again about the students because again as we talked to Chris about the students are developing individually through these 
phases as well. So it's kind of like, and we've touched on this a little bit. We'll need to talk about this much more, but a seven, eight-year-old kid is almost certainly in the self-discipline paradigm, even if they're not very self-disciplined, but they, their, their, their brains or their expectations are wanting that hierarchy and that certainty. They're pre-abstract in Piagetian terms. And then it's, it's in those middle school years where they begin to move into this very ambition-centered paradigm. And so if you are trying to include seven and eight-year-old students in the organization of your school, you also have to bear in mind that they are operating from a hierarchical kind of system and they may favor anything that, that keeps an, an, a hierarchical system in place. And so then you include within this group some 11, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, and they're operating from ambition. And they may not want anything to do with this hierarchy or anything to do with this um, deconstructivist. They are now seeing school as a place to win. School, school is a competition and it can be won. And let's win this. And then obviously you get the older kids we're talking about the 16 to 18 year old kids who maybe are now in that sensitivity paradigm either in a healthy or an unhealthy way but they're now seeing that oh hold on it's way more complex than that it's not a game you don't win we have to make sure everybody's taken care of we have to bring everybody in and then we're seeing this from as teachers who are hopefully in the developmental mindset to say the eight-year-old, the 12-year-old, the 16-year-old, none of you are actually wrong. You're seeing this from a different perspective. And so that's an extra complication on top of just having to, say, design a school with a, a group of adults that are already developmentally minded or at least moving in that direction. It's complex. <laughs> There's a lot of, yeah, I think our tendency also in this conversation for the sake of simplicity was to kind of oversimplify the group. And I think you've just done a good job of pointing out there's a diversity of diversity within a school. There's diversity in, I think, the common parlance of the way we use that term just to mean people from different backgrounds, people from you know different religions, different faiths, all these sorts of things, different values, different beliefs, all this sort of stuff different family situations. There is also this fundamental complexity of diverse goals. In an earlier episode, we talked about it as being the equivalent of like four sports games happening on the same field at the same time. You know, if you've got a golf game and a football game and a baseball game and a horse racing game happening on the same field at the same time, all four are engaged in very different activities with very different ideas about what, it, what they're trying to do, what they're trying to accomplish, and how you win or how you are successful at doing what you set out to do. And that's difficult with adults <laughs> to sit three people, four people operating from the different values and find common ground between everybody or at least to be able to talk between those games, talk between those values. And even if you can't agree, at least be able to still like respect the humanity <laughs> between each of you. Um, 
see the entire internet and comment sections right now as evidence of that that's easy to not have happen. But then to add the level of, the, of complexity you're bringing up, which is that this can happen within a school where the same quote-unquote monoculture of student body, and I'm saying that with sarcastic air quotes right now, the monoculture of student body has within it at least one, two, three different games operating within it at the same time with very different end goals in mind. So how do you address how do you address that? And I think this comes back to another analogy that or visualization of this that we've talked about of this idea of the box with the three dials. And I think this is the developmental um, master code, <laughs> the developmental, what do you call that, Rosetta Stone of being able to talk across these values is to have your self-discipline dial, have your ambition dial, and have your sensitivity value, value dial, and turn them up and turn them down as needed in the context and in the situation and I think the true developmental value is not to just do that as like lip service or a little interpersonal social trick, but to do it in order to best engage with what is present and what you are aware of as arising in this moment. Um, that's not to say if you can do this, that you're perfect. This isn't tips for mastery or here's how to be the best, best boss. Here's best boss tips. This does not guarantee you will be successful at doing it even. Um, but I think it is the software with which someone operates who's coming from the developmental value. Well, yeah, I guess if you are working with people who have adults and children who, have, who are coming from these different values and you are able to non-cynically and... Um, authentically honestly listen and speak to them in in languages that they can understand and and make connections help to make connections between say a, a kid who's operating the self-discipline and another child or an adult who's operating from maybe um an ambition paradigm and we'll get into this much more that complexity but maybe they're saying very similar things just looking at it from a slightly different way um, I just want to drag us back again to this uh, idea of, of the practical of how these are organized within. We keep coming back to the, the Romanian University, Armin's um, Tagesschule and um, Chris's uh, Millennium School, because those are the three kind of people that were day-to-day running schools. So it's the other guys had a lot of really good things to say on these topics, but we're coming back to these particularly because they give us day-to-day practical examples and one through line in all of them was this idea that they needed a an inner circle that wasn't too big and it wasn't too small and it may change in size and it may change in function but it was necessary and I think that's maybe an example of of putting back in a little more structure that a that a a truly deconstructed school would have lost and they're like no if we if we want the school to operate on any level we want to include students we want to make it authentic but we can only have so many 
and they have to act as liaisons between the student body and the, and the teacher body. Um, so I think that's, a, that's something that runs through them all. And underneath that, how do you marry that with a self-organizing wider community? I think to tie what you're bringing up here together with what I was saying before about the being able to turn those dials up and down, I think this is where at the risk of sounding like a hippie, this is where the heart really comes back into this because you're not just changing the dials so that you know how to talk to somebody, but you're tr I think at the development of value, there's an attempt to bring in a deeper interpersonal skill of also just trying to get this person's world and not in a strategic way. This isn't like a CEO business tip of like, well, if you can take on the other person's perspective, then you can manage them 10% more effectively and increase profits. Paint their pain. Paint their pain. That's the one I heard. Paint oh, their God. pain. <laughs> oh, that just, I felt my gut sink just hearing that. But the more authentic, um, uh, way of being here. And this might, I think, and it, it might sound like I'm talking from the sensitivity value. And to some degree I am because this comes online at the sensitivity value. The idea of trying to take on the perspective of another and, and meet their needs. What I think begins to happen at the developmental value or, or a nuance on that is there's really the attempt to take on the other's perspective as your own to really try to feel it out um, for the sake of, I guess, oh, um, for lack of a better word, just a wider sense of connection and development um, to touch into a shared sense of purpose or togetherness or just a shared sense of like, hey, we're alive in this moment together and you've got your own universe, I've got my own, and I can bring on this new thing online to be in touch with more of what is present at this time. And it might, I think I'm strawmanning here a little bit, but at the sensitivity value, it might be more take on the other's perspective in order to take action to support them or ensure that they're not being screwed over by the structure we're setting up in the school. And I think a nuance of the development value is take on that other person's perspective to bring more bandwidth to how you are operating as a person, as a part of the culture, and as a part of the system. Maybe that's too abstract, but that's a stab at it anyways. No, I think... I think what you're describing there is what all these guys went through as they attempted to find where that line is between we, we ideally we would have no structure. It would be completely horizontal. Everybody here would be supporting each other and getting support. What's the lightest administration we can put in that allows that to happen? system has to function it has to move on and it has to allow everyone here to develop 
what's the lightest set of administration we can put in. And so if you start from that point, rather than from the other side of what's expected or what's going to be most effective, what is it that allows us to develop? And I always think if we were to go back through the stages now, if we start at development, and if we were to take off the development structure, what are you left with? And I think we're saying at the development value, if you took off this lightest film of development structure, this kind of sociocratic or holocratic or self-organizing structure, if you took that away, what you're left with is the the sensitivity everybody's got to say everyone's equally horizontal value and if you i guess stripped that away you go back not quite but you can go back to this multifaceted many people have the power and if you strip that away you're left with you've got one or two people in power at the top and if you strip that one person away at the top likely likely you just have chaos and i think each of these is has been an evolutionary step in how do we how do we maintain an order within schools that allows the school as an entity to continue while simultaneously <laughs> allowing this as an extension of our society to continue. So there's those two things happening simultaneously. And I think each of these four stages we're talking about in their different leadership structures is an attempt to maintain an order so that the school as an entity or as an organism can continue and hopefully be healthy and thrive. So it exists as an organism, but it exists as an organism to serve the larger society for occupational preparation, the cultivation of citizenship, and the development of the individuals. And each of these is reflecting back leadership structures within the society that we see. Yeah, and I think this is a this is maybe a good time to talk about Lalu's book a little bit more. Obviously, it had a big influence on you when you were thinking of this podcast because it's this is essentially named after his his book of reinventing organizations. But I think the one that struck me was the uh, nurses. Was it in the Netherlands where there was mm. there were these kind of nursing groups and they were self organizing? And I think what's really key about it is like nursing provides provides a life and death necessary service to a community it's incredibly valuable and it's not going away and everybody who wants to be a nurse is doing it because they are committed to that you know nurses doctors and nurses some of the most committed people to their profession and so it's really interesting that you've got a, a, an absolute need in a society and a group of people that are driven to provide that need and the best or, or a really good organizing system for them is to give them as much autonomy as possible. And this, from what I understand of the book, this moved out through the Netherlands really quickly into large numbers. 
I think if you compare that with school, where more or less students have to go to school, we're legally bound to go to school, whether you like it or not. So you've already lost in a lot of students that that commitment that, say, a nurse has. And then school, obviously, it's providing a really, really important service to society. But it's not as clear as giving some medicine to Mr. Smith. The function of education within the wider society is far less clear than the function of the medical system, for example. So I think that's what struck me when I started to think about why it would be so, why it is probably far more difficult to put a horizontal leadership system into a school versus in this particular case. You also touched on the sense of purpose there and passion for work. Of course, there are passionate teachers who are inspiring people. Of course, there are a lot of people who are teachers who are just phoning it in. And I'd be terrified if they were in contact with my child for five or six hours a day or an, an hour a day for an entire year of my kid's childhood. Like we've got the full spectrum of passionate teaching professionals. I was in, kind of making more of, of an analogy with the students though, as the nurses in this example. Mm -hmm. I hadn't quite thought it through with teachers in there and I'm not sure which one of those two groups fits best in this example, but uh, they kind of, the sharp end of both of those, you have the nurse and the student. That was the analogy I drew. It, it may not hold up quite as well if we do it with teachers, but. Well, I think what works best in a developmental leadership structure are students and teachers who are part of the structure for a purpose in their life and that the system itself can adapt and change and be modeled to help express those passions, those desires, and whether that's coming from students or whether that's coming from the teachers. I think mm. at the development value, if you're not tuned into some deeper purpose for being a teacher, you're probably going to be like magnetically repelled from being in a development school. I think Okay, I can see that. Unpack that a little bit, please. I would say that the kind of teacher at least who would enter into a developmental school, and I'm guessing probably past the interview process gates of the leadership, is someone who's walking in with a sense that they are a teacher serving they are teaching because it serves some larger purpose in life or some larger meaning in life. It's not just <laughs> summers off and usually a decent paycheck and, and whatever it's, it no. can be that, but it can also be, um, you know, I've said this in like essentially every interview I've been asked where you get asked like, you know, why are you a teacher? Tell me how you became a teacher. Tell me your story. And almost the first thing without thinking about it, I just say, well, I'm fascinated by human development. And in schools, you can have a huge influence on that. 
But I yeah. think the thing here, the the analogy is that if we already have, even with the ambition paradigm, that kind of responsibility uh, set out on a teacher level, the hard thing or the more difficult thing is then to pass that to everyone in the community. And so, yeah, we have teachers very, very committed. Almost every teacher I, I've met and worked with is committed to working for students and helping them and sees it as a bigger kind of cause. However, again, in this analogy with the nurses, we would have to see the nurses as representing both the students and the teachers. So the buy-in has to come from the students. So we'll get on to learning and teaching and how we inspire students and how we open up the curriculum to develop more passion within the students. But in the three paradigms as it stands, generally, I'm straw manning, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but you're not seeing that same level of passion from the average student or from all students as you would from teachers. And that's where it becomes difficult then to spread responsibility around into the whole community if a large section of the community are not fully bought into the uh, the aims of the... Yeah, and, and we're now getting into the idea that... I think we're getting into the idea that a student's world or the world of a youth is different than the adult's world. And I guess maybe the kind of, I don't know if this is an easy and oversimplified answer, but just to say, well, that's part of the school's structure then to foster the kinds of conditions or experiences and relationships to help students get in touch with some of this fire that they would want to be part of the system. In, an, in a truly engaged way. Sure, but teachers are walking in with that. And students are not. There, for me, is a big sticking point in sharing responsibility. I've got some students in my class right now who are so committed and will work so hard for the good of the school, for the good of the class, for the good of them and their, their classmates it's by no means everybody and so ideally in a developmental system you would want that buy-in from everybody and it's, it's kind of how do you get that i know how some organizations get it through indoctrination and hypnosis but it's like <laughs> we've talked a little bit about indoctrination and maybe we'll come to this at some point i, won't, I don't think it'll be today but i think we're not looking to indoctrinate students explicitly and into any mindset, but you, I guess the answer would be that it's a feedback loop, isn't it? As you include students more and give them more autonomy and give them more responsibility, their, their passion and commitment to this organization and to the goals would increase. And it's how do you do that? Because I think all of the people we spoke to kind of, Nobody addressed it directly, so there was an expectation that maybe it was already happening in a lot of their schools. Sure. And I'd really like to know how. We can already start to talk about the fifth value in education, which we have not 
you and I have not attempted to give a name to, because obviously there's going to be something after this development value. I think we're just starting to dance around the blind spot, possibly of the development value, which is just as, let's say, you know, it's easier with ambition, just as ambition says, well, you've all got to value the marks. You've got to value ambition, folks. And just as sensitivity says, well, you've got to value sensitivity if you're here in our school, folks. You know, development, we're no different. We're just as simple. And we go, well, you've got a development. You've got to value development here, folks. And you've got to love a self-organizing system and because that's best set up for your development because that's what we value. That's what's most important to us. And, that's and there's nothing else we can see. And there's nothing else that we can see that would be better. We can't. Everything outside that is just an empty vacuum. And isn't this way better than everything that's come before it? Which is what every new value says. Well, isn't this better than what we've already had? Because it includes and transcends, Robbie. It takes all the best bits from the other three, and it adds some extra magic. And how can you not be in, into this? Absolute best thing. Just to, it's a greatest hits album of the first few. You sprinkle in a few brand new number one gems. This is, can't get better than this. Um, I think episode 100 and beyond, we'll talk about the shortcomings of the development value as it begins <laughs> to play out. But as it stands, it is the most cutting edge thing on this planet. And as God is my witness, I want to help it... Uh, become more prevalent in the earth because this totally lines up with my values and what I'm into. This is what I want to see more of. So oh, I'm Rob, the truth's coming out. I'm going to have a big, I'd like to have a big glass of pineapple juice uh, very, very soon. Um, I don't know how you feel about pineapple juice, but um, can I say, we... I need to get going. How about we wrap this up? Ah, oh, I, I thought you were never going to ask, Rob. Can we, in two minutes, give an overview of leadership in the developmental school paradigm? Yes. I'm going to ask you to go first, though. Okay. So we're looking for devoluting power and allowing all members of the community a say and a meaningful say in responding to the needs of the community. However, we have also realized that we need a light administration to make sure that these kind of needs are um, the structural aspect of these needs being addressed is taken care of so that the system as a whole holds together and continues to function. And what that structure looks like is uh, adaptable or and adaptive to it can be influenced and changed and reconstructed to serve the people and the place that it inhabits. It doesn't have to be one size fits all. There's not going to be a by your developmental framework leadership circle package that's going to work everywhere. It needs to be responsive and re reacting to the actual people needs um, that are there. And I think this is the one subtlety when we're talking about needs. Now we're no longer just talking about student needs. 
or teacher needs. We're talking about the school's needs. And although we haven't directly touched on this really in this conversation, also the larger society's needs um, to attempt to serve all of those at the same time, or at least acknowledge that all of those are at play or in play simultaneously. And I guess over the next N X amount of episodes, we will try to say practically what these strategies are as well. And I think we touched on it a little bit, but I don't think right now we're walking into our schools on Monday or over the next few years and saying, here are the strategies that make us a developmental school rather than what we currently are. Yeah. Next up will be learning. Next episode, learning and what what it looks like to be inside a lesson a week or more so like a month or a few weeks cycle within a developmental school. Sounds good. Brandon O'Leary. Thank you. Cloud. Thank you. If this episode of Reinventing Education was insightful or useful to you, feel free to reach out and connect to us on social media. We'd enjoy having your perspective. Join the conversation about what reinventing education might look like. Feel free to find us on our Facebook page, Reinventing Education Podcast, and join the discussions there. From Brendan and myself, thanks for joining us.